Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. One and welcome to a brand new podcast here on the Crossing Broad Network. This is Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. I am Anthony Sanfilippo. I'm co-hosting it with our Phillies writer Bob Wankel. Welcome to the welcome to the program, Bob. How are we doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. So this is this is a brand new. Uh, thing that we're trying out here on Crossing Broad uh, with the Philly season starting up uh, on Thursday the 29th of March in Atlanta. Uh, we're going to be here every week breaking down every part of the Phillies as the season goes forward. Uh, and, of course, you can always comment to us on Twitter if you'd like. Uh, I'm at AntSanPhilly um, and Bob's at, at BWCrossingBroad. Um, and we'll have all the great details about what's coming up with the Philly season during the season, what's going on. Um, and we'll even, uh, as the season progresses, we'll even reach out to you, the, the, the listeners, and see if you guys have any comments or questions or topics you want to discuss here on the Crossed Up podcast. Um, so let's just like jump right into it because I'm so excited for the baseball season to get started here, Bob. And uh, one of the things that's kind of, you know, everybody's talking about now, the big news um, here with the Phillies is the signing of Scott Kingery. Um, he's now here for six years, guaranteed $24 million. Um, and then there's also three club option years after that that can bump it up over 64, 65 million, whatever the actual number was. Um, it's a unique kind contract it's a different contract it's not something you usually see in major league baseball with a player who's never p- taken one at bat or thrown one pitch in, in the big leagues and i want to you know jump right in have you give give your take on it and then let's figure out where the heck scott kingry is going to fit into this lineup and, and in this rotation yeah i think you said it it's a unique deal right and uh, i think that he's a unique player i think that he has a, a i call him a swiss army knife uh, in a story i wrote about him today uh, after his introductory press conference Uh, I just think that the Phillies understand what this guy might possibly be both on and off the field. I think that he is a a, a guy that can kind of shift the culture of this team. I think that three, four, five years down the line, he's a guy that I think can define the perception of this team. I think he defines the character of it. I think he's that type of player. Um, and you, obviously, after the spring he had, and we were talking about it before the show tonight, he, the guy's hitting 418 with a 1.248 OPS this spring. I mean, it's Matt Klentak said it today. Yeah, I mean, he said it today during the uh, press conference. He said he kind of forced our hand, and, and once that happened, uh, we knew we had to get something done here. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Like there, um, there have been some stories, and and they, you know, Clentac talked about, um, you know, how this came to be, and he said, he said it kind of happened rather quickly, and it, it happened like within the yeah. last ten days, yeah, really. Seven and, to ten days, yeah. And and then that's how they kind of threw it together. And I find it as an interesting. Someone someone actually asked me today. Um, they said, "What do you? What do you? If you're Scott Kingery, why do you take this deal?" And and when you look at it, you sit there and say, "Okay, well, it's fair enough. I mean, you gave up." Um, definitely two free agent years, 
potentially a third if the Phillies were, you know, like, oh, well, we're going to put you on the roster and give up our 2024 uh, uh, rights to you. But, I mean, let's just say for, 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 for kicks, you give up two free agent years. And it's only $24 million over six, over six years, which doesn't seem like a lot in professional sports today. But when you think about what Scott Kingery, Kingery would have made as a rookie ball player and on, an, on his entry contract here, he's actually making a lot of money. And a lot, of, yeah, lot more money than most people, ball. right? Yeah, yeah, and, that's why he ta- and that's why he takes it, and he's willing to give up those couple of free agent years. Yeah, I think that this is it, it makes a ton of sense on his end. Um you know you want to bet on yourself obviously, uh but the guy like you said he hasn't he hasn't taken a swing in a major league game in a, ma- a regular season game. And I think that this really just kind of comes down to you get money up front, you have security long term, you never know what can happen. It's a little bit unpredictable. And from the Phillies standpoint, you know, the one AL scout that kind of compared him to Dustin Pedroia, right? Well, if, if everything right. goes as planned, he, he, the Phillies get that they get Dustin Pedroia now for the next nine years at $65 million, which you'll sign up for right away. And if it doesn't work out and, and there is that possibility, there's actually a decent possibility that he doesn't meet those expectations because frankly, they're insane expectations um (laughs) you know they still it's not something that cripples them long term I mean you're talking about a 24 million dollar commitment and where this team's at right now with their with their financial situation and their salary commitments or really lack thereof it's a it's a it's a decent bet for the Phillies to make at this point for sure yeah absolutely I mean it's the return on investment is really what you know, it's funny. It's so funny how business terms have now become part of the sports lexicon isn't it but the return on investment for Scott Kingery for the Phillies is really it, it, the, the odds of it being good is are, are better at this contract because really what's twenty four million dollars in professional sports over six years anymore? It's nothing. I mean, uh, you take a look at what they're doing with Jake Arrieta right now. I mean, they're willing yeah. to essentially flush $24, 25000000 million a year on, on a guy that has some injury concerns or has some velocity concerns, things like that right now. Right. And so if you diversify that over six years, I mean, the, the risk here is fairly minimal. It is fairly minimal. And it, and it also the, – the, the one concern that I have is that expectations are so high for him. Um, and, you know, you look at him, yeah, he's still a young player. Uh, he I, he's definitely ready for the majors, and I don't think that he's the kind of kid who's going to suddenly, you know, get deer in the headlights look at the major league level. I think that he's gonna he's gonna figure it out, and he's gonna have he's gonna stay up at this level. I don't think that they're gonna need to keep to send him back down. But the 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 beauty of it is is that they have that option as well. If it doesn't, if he comes up here to start the season and he struggles for a couple of months. It's it's not the end of the world. It really isn't. It's okay, and and it's it's you know that's the one thing I, I, that I would warn fans is now everybody's so excited about him to just temper that excitement just a little bit. Just was there was there a guy that played for the Sixers tonight for the first time in a yeah. while? <laughs> Markel, yeah, Markel yeah, Fultz. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, go I ahead. mean, I, look, here's the thing: the guy had an insane year last year. Really, kind of. Uh, catapulted himself into the conversation of really the the best second baseman prospect in all of baseball uh you know certainly one of the best prospects in, in the entire game in any position and uh, it has a huge year he's come out this spring and like we talked about a couple minutes ago the guy's ripped the cover off the ball he's been all over the place making plays i mean to me i think that the 
the expectations here are uh, probably a bit unrealistic. I know that people are talking about, like I just said, Dustin Pedroia, Chase Utley, you know, having that type of impact, a seismic impact right away on this team. And that's definitely unfair. I mean, it's completely unfair. Uh, I don't think that he's going to necessarily meet those expectations, but I do think that this is a guy that this city is going to love uh, and that they're going to pull for. And the story, the background story behind him is is amazing, really. Uh, it just, if it's so perfectly Philadelphia. Uh, there was a story uh, written on philly.com by Matt Breen, uh, who does a good job over there, and he profiled Kingery back in May uh, of last season, and it talked about how he comes out of, uh, comes out of high school in 2012, right, and he, he thinks he's a Division One player. He's not getting the looks because of his size, and he's a little bit undersized, and he's playing that summer, and he's sending out emails to D1 programs, and, and nobody's giving him a look. And finally, he persuades uh, one of the assistant coaches from uh, Arizona to come check him out. Very late in the summer. It's like three weeks before the fall semester starts, right? And the guy comes out, and he, he crushes it in the game that, that this assistant coach is out watching him. And, and they don't have any more scholarships for him, but they said, listen, you're going to be a preferred walk-on, and we'll see what you can do. And he bails on his JUCO deal, and uh, three weeks before the fall semester starts, he enrolls at Arizona, and he doesn't look back. And, like, you talk about the undersized guy that was overlooked his entire life, and, you know, this is a guy that got a chance, he took it, and he ran with it. And I just think that the, the way the guy plays the game, his style, uh, obviously his productivity, uh, his, his production, I think it's just really going to lend itself uh, to, to the – the fans in the city really take into this guy. And uh, I think that the hype is justified. I think he really is that good. Uh, I've watched him play quite a bit. I watched him play quite a bit last year. And uh, I, I think that people are going to love him. And I think he's going to, I think he's going to come pretty damn close to delivering on the uh, expectations that are kind of being set forth by him. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with you. I actually think that he's uh, he is the real deal, and he's and he is going to hit on on the uh, the hype. Um, whether he actually hits it right away or not, we'll 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 see. And like and one thing, the one comparison I want to make with him is you look at Reese Hoskins, for example. So Reese Hoskins comes up last year, and as we all know, his August was absolutely amazing. He was breaking records, doing things that no no ball player has ever done before. And then September kind of you know. Yeah. Went off the rails really quick, and, yeah, and after that and, first week in September, it was a significant decline. Yeah, and, and but that's okay. Again, that's okay because it's it became a situation where here's a minor league player who came up, had a great month. Major League Baseball figured him out a little bit, and it becomes you know incumbent upon him to now re- figure out you know what he has to do next the adjustments he has to make and i think that hoskins is the kind of player who can do that just like i think scott kingery is the kind of player who will do that but if he goes through a month where he's not productive that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be a bust or that people should be you know hard on him or down on him you know oh geez signed them we signed him for six years and he's hitting you know 205 in this past month it just take you got to be patient Patient, patient, patient. Well, with you know what's kind of you know what's kind of interesting. Like over the last what 16, 17 days, going back to before they signed Jake Arrieta, before the Kingery deal, how much pressure was on Reese Hoskins? I mean, he yeah. was the guy. He was the guy that brought them hope, right? And now, and all of a sudden, now all the attention's kind of focused at Kingery. All of a sudden, right? So it, it's just kind of it. it 
fascinates me how it was, this is Reese Hoskins' team, and he's got to be good, and he's a 35-40 home run guy. He's going to have to hit 280. He's going to have to put this team on his back in his second year, really his first full year. And now all of a sudden, we're all kind of just like, oh, yeah, and Reese Hoskins too, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I know. He went from being the face of the franchise to being, you know, he went from being Batman to being Robin, basically. Right, and when, when you look at players like this, though, and you look at young players that have talent, you, you look at the pressure aspect of it, and I do think that Kingery kind of now being thrust into the spotlight like this takes some of the pressure off Hoskins. I mean, J.P. Crawford, by the way, who's who's almost a complete afterthought at this point, who was once, not so long ago, considered the best prospect positionally in, in all of baseball, also he's here now for a full year. I mean, these guys really have a chance, I think, to take some of the pressure off one another, grow together. It's just... Really, I think when the Phillies went into this this committed, I, I'm not going to use the word rebuild, at least not yet, but when they set this plan in place, I mean, this was the dream outcome, was it not? I mean, I, they, no, you're right. It, it's it's all kind of lining up in their favor. At least it seems to be at this point. No, absolutely. You nailed that 100%. Now, the, the question, I guess, becomes, though, where does, where does Kingery slot yeah. in now to start the season? Where does he play? Well, <laughs> uh, I, I kind of assume that Cesar Hernandez was was out of here this winter I kept thinking well they need starting pitching and he's been extremely productive over the last two years he can do a little bit of everything he gets on base he can run they'll get a starting pitcher back for him uh, and it, that did not happen and so I think I think the obvious position that he is going to assume the role of uh, should the third baseman struggle will be exactly there uh, I, I don't know man I, I, I don't know where you what do you think on this? Well, I, I think you're right. I think that the, the leash for Mike Calfranco um, just got even shorter. It was short enough. I mean, it was really short, I thought. You know, before Kingery signs, I'm sitting here thinking, well, Mike Calfranco has two weeks, two and a half weeks, to, to, to show that he's changed. Um, he's, he's, he's changed his stripes. Um, uh, and if he doesn't, then they call Kingery up on April 13th, and Michael Franco is likely going to slowly lose his job. Um, but now it's even expedited even faster. And, you know, everybody's looking at, at Franco. He's got, what, six home runs this spring. You know, he's got you know better launch angle, which we'll talk about that a little bit uh, down the road with the launch angles as a, as a thing. Um, but he's hitting, what, 205? Yeah, he's hitting 200, and his on-base percentage is is 214. Now, one thing I will say in in his defense, at least about the on-base percentage, is that in spring training, you want to what? You want to work on your swing, and that requires you to what? Swing. Uh, So I don't know that he's going up there with the approach, let me just get on base any way I can. I don't think he's got that scratch or claw approach to him. But then again, when you look at his inability to reach base last season – I don't know. It's interesting to me how everybody's saying all of a sudden, well, wow, you bring in Kingery into the fold. You have all this young positional talent. Michael Franco really seems to be figuring it out. I mean, has he really figured it out? You know, you hit 200 for the spring. I don't know that that's not necessarily my definition of figuring it out. No, I don't think I don't think he's figured it out a little bit. As a matter of fact, is you know as many spring games as I've been able to watch, um, he's still he's still swinging at a diving out over. The over the plate swinging of the pitch off the down and away, um, his, his helmet's still flying off because he's swinging too hard. I mean, there are things about him that you know you just sit there and watch and say, I'm not certain that that's ever going to change. Just like it, it, on a, on the other side of things, I mean, you look at a guy like Odubel Herrera, who frustrates the heck out of fans, some fans a lot, and yet it, the things that that he does at the plate that frustrates people. 
you know, it, it also works to his benefit sometimes. And and so that's why he's as as productive as he is. Uh, but it, it, it works in the same way because he can't change that habit. It, it works against Franco uh, in his approach at the plate. So I, I really do. I think you're right. I think ultimately Kingry's going to play a lot of third base here. Um, but if Franco gets off to a good start, and I, I anticipate opening day, Michael Franco will start at third base. Um, but if he gets off to a, a good start, I think you're going to see Kingery used in a little bit more of a, yeah, you know. him in the outfield. Yeah. Hybrid like, is the uh, term yeah, of the uh, year, Ben Zobrist. Right? That's where we're at. Yeah, Ben Zobrist. Yeah, he's going to yeah. be a hybrid kind of guy. Javi Baez. <laughs> yeah. I, I, listen, the, the one thing I'll say about Franco, and this is just going to be my, the, the, you won't hear me say a lot of positive things about him, but you see the guy come up as, what, a 23-year-old, he hits 280, 840 OPS, and you go, wow. And every now and then, the guy does something where you say, look at the tools, look at the power. This is not just something that, that every player comes up with, you know. But you look at 2015 and what he did that year, and now here we are in 2018. 1,200 plate appearances have gone by since 2015. And his OPS has dropped from, what, 840 to 733 to 690 last year? Yes, 690. And, I mean, I look at a guy that, as you talked about, pitch recognition, uh, he seems to have no concept, no approach, no plan at the plate, and oftentimes he'll roll 2-1, 3-1 counts. Uh, counts where he obviously has a, a significant edge. He should be locking in on certain pitches, looking to drive the ball, uh, has no concept or no idea of what the opposing pitchers are trying to do to him, and, and he creates a lot of, of needless outs and weak contact. And, and really, it, it, the guy has regressed every single year uh, since 2015. And, and I just look at it and I go, he gets a month, maybe two months, because you see the, the raw power, the talent, the tools, and all that stuff. And the Phillies are not in a situation where they're going to necessarily win the World Series this year or compete at that type of at that type of level. So you need to be sure when you have a talent like this. You need to be absolutely sure that this is not the guy, or at least it's not going to happen here. So I'm all in favor of, of giving him the opening day start, giving him a few weeks to kind of to prove that, that 2016, 2017 was was the aberration it was the exception to what he really is but i'm i'm extremely skeptical that that that's going to play itself out that way yeah and i think you nailed it right on the bat right off on the nose i think that that is the exact right approach with this guy you can't just give up on him right away but at the same time you have to realize that he may not ever be anything more than what he is um, and, and we and everybody has to accept that. And the hardest part, I think, you know, maybe we see it a little bit easier because we're we're a lot more critical. But it's you know, for a team, you know, Michael Franco's been with the organization however many years now. I mean, he was he was brought in as a very young player, and it's like having you know a child that is not <laughs> that is not you know d- turning out to be what you wanted your child to be. And it's it's hard to kind of separate yourself. From that notion that oh they're going to be sensational they're going to be exceptional yeah it's and like it the kid that rips not. it up in little league and then he gets to high school and you go what the hell happened you yeah know? what happened to him yeah exactly. that's kind exactly. of the path that he's been on here so yeah, yeah I mean I I do think that the bulk of the starts eventually will come at third base if you ask me to say where is Scott Kingery going to make the most starts at this season I'd say third base uh, I do think in the month of April probably in the middle of May he'll, he'll grab a start here or there at, at second short a couple at third and then it'll sprinkle in in the outfield as well so I think that you really are going to see him in that hybrid position I think he's going to bounce all around and he's shown a willingness to do it the Phillies talked about it at the introductory press conference today uh, that was one of 
the things that impress them so much about him. He just wants to be at the major league level. He doesn't care how or where or, or how many times a week, but he wants to be up here. He's, he's shown that willingness. He's shown the maturity on that front. And, you know, I think that that's exactly what you're going to see. I think Gabe Kapler talked a little bit about it today. I don't think that that's just, uh, you know, just lip service. I think that the guy is going to bounce all over the field, uh, at least at the start of the season. Yeah, so, so, so he gives the Phillies – here's another business term. This is another one of those terms – Optionality. Yes, optionality. Right? Gives them optionality. Yes. So let's look at the roster, Bob. Okay. There's a lot of optionality on this roster, and the way it looks like it's going to be for opening day with uh, 12 position players and 13 pitchers. Um, it's kind of an interesting, interesting collection, interesting grouping. I, I do have one or two questions, but I, I want you to kind of, as, as our Phillies guy, kind of give us your take on the 12 – Hitters, thirteen pitchers that the Phillies are going to take to them with to uh, take with them to Atlanta. Well, let's start with the position players, right? The thing that is fun is that there's no uh, what Michael Saunders is that is that who the <laughs> starting uh, right fielder was last opening yeah, day. There's yeah. not these guys where you go, well, he's an old veteran and he's not really in the long term plans, but maybe he can give us something. Every single guy that the Phillies send to the plate on opening day is going to be a guy with upside, with a ceiling that you could possibly envision on a team that that wins a pennant. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're you're looking every single guy. You say this is a guy that could be here when this team is really good, and and maybe they're really good this year. Maybe it's not until next year. But everybody's intriguing. Everyone has a legitimate upside. Everyone has a little bit of youth and intrigue. And to me, that's the biggest takeaway from the the positional aspect of it. It's it's going to be, you're going to learn something, and we're going to learn something about a young player every time someone steps to the plate on this team. And, and to me, that's the most interesting part of this. Yeah, no, you're you're right. I, I think the old man on the team, is is it Pedro Florimon? Is he the oldest yeah, position player? I believe he's player? 30, 31, I believe he is right It's now. either yeah. him or Carlos Santana. One of them is the, yeah. one of them is the oldest position player. Um, so that's kind of like a, you know, it's a very young, very young lineup. And so they're basically carrying the two catchers in Alfaro and Knapp, uh, four regular infielders in Santana, Hernandez, Franco, and Crawford, four regular outfielders in Herrera, Altair, Williams, and Hoskins, um, and then two guys who could you can consider infield slash outfield because they can play all over the place in Kingery and Flormo. Um, so that's their 12. But there are a couple questions that I have, um, and I'll bring up one of them now, and I'll save the other one for once we look at the pitchers. Um, but the, one of the concerns I have is is depth at catcher. You know, they they gave Cameron, they took Cameron Rupp off the forty man the other day, and then they gave him his unconditional release today, so he's now a free agent, no longer with the organization, and and he had a minor league option left. They could have, if they wanted to, sent him down to AAA. Uh, but they chose not to keep him on the 40-man roster, and now they've let him go. The Phillies really don't have that guy that you could sit there and say, oh, well, if we have an injury or something, we could just call this guy up. He's a veteran, and he's you know he's put up some okay numbers at the major league level. Not a big Logan Moore guy? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not at all. So, so to me, like that's the thing. Like Usually you have that guy you know, who's, yeah. who's, who's available to you in the minors, and the Phillies really don't have that, and so they're putting a lot of trust, a lot of trust in Alfaro and Knapp to be the, the tandem this year behind the plate, and that's one, of the, that's one that maybe raises a little bit of a red flag for me. Well, I actually kind of uh, tweeted it out there yesterday and it got shot down, and it should get shot down because it really 
isn't really the direction that I would want to see this team go. And uh, I don't want to go and dip back into yesteryear uh, or anything like that. And we'll talk a little bit about, uh, I think, probably sometime this season about Cole Hamels. I have a feeling that that's a name that's going to come up a couple times mm-hmm. uh, as we progress through the spring. But uh, you know who is a free agent? Uh, 39-year-old Carlos Ruiz. So uh, in a pinch, you know, you never know. You never know. <laughs> you know what? You know what I wouldn't mind them doing, in all honesty, with, with Chooch? And this is if he wanted to. Only if, again, obviously, if he only wanted to, you bring him back on a minor league deal, right? And you have him, but have him serve as kind of like a player coach kind of thing at the minor league level. Because I think he had. I remember a story a couple years back uh, before they first sent him away, before they first traded him to the Dodgers, um, that where he talked about that one day he wanted to be a coach, a baseball coach. So maybe you give him a chance to see what he can do in that kind of role where he's not really playing. He's just kind of like an extra, the 25th guy on the bench at, you know, AAA or AA, wherever, wherever you put him. And then if in a pinch, if you need him, okay, he, hey, we can call him up and, and not kill ourselves behind the plate. Yeah, well, I think that what the the fact that we just spent forty five seconds talking about Carlos Ruiz <laughs> as an emergency catcher really kind of uh, underscores the the situation that this team's going to face, and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later about where does this team stack up in the National League this season. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's a place that they absolutely cannot afford to have an injury, and uh, I think that it, it definitely is a legitimate concern. It's a valid concern. Uh, I think that right now they're kind of just saying, hey, we got to cross our fingers and hopefully this shakes out. You know, they don't have a lot of depth at that position. I will say this though and and this is one other thing that I do like about this team and we talked a little bit about this before the show as well every game you know whether Scott Carey is in the lineup or uh, he's on the bench himself it's you're, you're going to have Kingery or Crawford or Franco or one of the outfielders probably you know Williams or Altair uh, or Hernandez, one of these guys is going to be coming off the bench every single game, right? So they're they're a little bit deeper. If, if you know, obviously it, injuries would totally unravel this thing. But if they can stay relatively healthy, the bench and the depth that they have game to game, and here you go, the optionality that that Gabe Kapler has uh, on a game in game out basis, it, it's it's fairly intriguing. I mean, you you see that he does have some talent here. Uh, there is some depth one through eight or maybe one through nine in the lineup. Uh, I don't know exactly what he plans to do with the pitcher in terms of how he wants to hit them and all that stuff. But I do think that this bench and the way that this shakes out, this is a much deeper team than it was a year ago, for sure. Uh, And I think that that's where they do get markedly better. Yeah, well, I mean, you you now have, I mean, for the National League team, you now have 10 guys on this team who you you could sit there and say are starters. You have 10 starters, and two of them will be on the bench each game. Um, and it may end up being that the, the, there are two guys who end up being there more frequently than the others, but it could also be a pretty you know, well-balanced split so that of those 10 guys, maybe, they're all, maybe they can all be guaranteed 400 plate appearances in a given year. Right. And, and that's still okay. I mean, that's, you, know, you, you anticipate about 5,000 uh, plate appearances, 5,500 plate appearances in a 162-game season for eight positions, uh, eight, eight spots in the lineup. Um, so maybe if you're getting, you know, 10 guys, 400 
plate appearances on average, um, then you're doing good. And it's it's like having ten starters. It's kind of it's, a way it's to it's really to interesting that. you say that. I was talking to a buddy of mine uh, about Gabe Kapler, and he says, "What do you think the biggest difference with Gabe Kapler is going to be? Like, do you think we're going to be watching the game saying, "Whoa, I've never seen anything like this before"? Like when Chip Kelly came to the Eagles, right? Yeah. And, and I don't think so, but I do think that that's one thing that you are going to see that's going to be different is that you won't have guys with 625 650 you know plate appearance in a, in, a, in a season i think that he is going to limit them i think that he's going to try to keep guys fresher more healthy i know that he's alluded to it a little bit but i i think that people kind of go yeah sure like you're going to play the guys that are productive and that's going to be the end of the story like you say that now in a december press conference but what happens once the season gets going and you have a guy that's in the middle of a you know a 2 for 30 slump and you have another guy that's you know five of his last eight let's see what happens and uh, I do think that he's going to say, screw that. I'm not worried about the trends, who's hot, who's not. I'm, I'm going to stick by this regimen. And I do think that you're going to see guys in that 400 to 500 range as opposed to 6, 650 uh, and yeah. beyond. I, I think that that's the one thing that he's going to change that's a little bit more unorthodox than what we're accustomed to seeing. And and that's and I don't have a problem with that. Like that's one of the things, and we're, we're going to talk about, you know, some of the interesting tweaks that we might see with Gabe Kapler as a manager. And that's certainly one that I don't have a problem with. I think that that's it's smart to have roster management like that um, to to keep your guys fresh and to keep everybody as as part of the team, as opposed to having a guy sit on the bench and get 150 at bats and he only bats like you know once once a week or twice a week, and then you, you expect him to come up in a big spot and get a hit for you with only one or two at bats a week. It's not always going to work. Well, let's like take Nick Williams for instance, right? Would you rather have Nick Williams have 350 plate appearances and hit 295 and be ultra productive in those plate appearances or would you rather his numbers get watered down over 530 plate appearances I mean we want players to do really well we want them to pop we want them to be all-stars and and we want to have their numbers stack up against other elite players across the league but at the end of the day I mean who, who really cares that he's eighth in the league in doubles right or that he's hitting uh you know 330 my thing is like forget the individual statistics what's going to help the team win how are you going to maximize the talent and productivity of each of these guys you know and and right. i don't think that you need composite statistics to validate the the value of these players and i don't think and i i really do think that that's one thing that gabe kapler is going to say i don't care about any of that we're going to get the most out of you that we can get this is how we're going to do it and uh, I, I do think it's going to come at the expense of some playing time for some of these guys. But I think in the long run, it's going to you know, better serve them. Well, as interesting and intriguing as that lineup is going to be on a night-in, night-out basis, the pitching, on the other hand, is where if there is a weakness on this team, that's where it lies. And you know, right now it looks like you know, with Arietta not being ready until April 8th, the four starters the Phillies are going to carry, they announced for the Atlanta series, it's going to be Nola, obviously, on opening day. Nick Pavetta pitching the second game. Vince Velazquez pitching the third game of the series. And Ben Lively is going to be in there. He's going to probably pitch in that Mets series uh, uh, next week. Um, and then nine relievers, um, which is, <laughs> is – I can't believe I'm saying this, but this is what all baseball teams are doing now because they're all carrying 13 pitchers. But nine relievers – uh, on the Phillies to start the season. And that does not include Mark Leiter, who's hurt, or Tommy Hunter, who's on, going to be on a DL with a uh, with a minor injury. So you're really going to be carrying guys like Jake Thompson and Victor Arano 
on this opening day line uh, roster? Yeah, uh, so I think that there are maybe two reasons you do this. Number one, you may not trust your starting pitching, and uh, you want to add an extra arm because you don't know how much uh, length these guys are going to give you, uh, probably beyond Aaron Nola and, and Arietta when he goes on April 8th. Uh, and I think that there's also a little bit of an old-school uh, throw-it-against-the-wall-and-see-what-sticks uh, kind of theory <laughs> to this as well because, you know, you look at Hector Naris and he's the closer uh, or, you know, I guess he's the closer. I think that you're going to see him outside of the ninth inning quite a bit. And you have Pat Neshek, right? And beyond that, you have the Luis Garcia's and the, you know, I just, this, this bullpen, I know has kind of been a perceived, like a sneaky, sneaky strength of theirs. Uh, I have, I have questions about it. Um, I know that Adam Morgan had a really good year last year out of the bullpen, but I think I need to see a little bit of more of that before I say, yes, Adam Morgan, excellent bullpen piece. Um, <laughs> there, there's just a, a lot of different questions that I have here. Hobie Milner, I, you know, these are guys that there's some talent here. Uh, they, they have a chance. Chance, but like I said, I do think that there's a little bit of a throw it against the wall and see what sticks element to this. How about Edu Bry Ramos? Yeah, in uh, spring training, yeah. hasn't he? He's faced 36 batters in spring training, and he's uh, struck out 16 of them. That's that's, that's sick. Yeah. <laughs> that's I mean that's yeah, a yeah. that's an that's 18 strikeouts per nine. I know it's spring training. It's spring training numbers, and if you really look at some other stuff, his ERA is 6.75. Right, he's given up nine hits and and uh, two walks, yeah. so 11 base runners in eight innings, which is not terrible, but it's not great either. Um, but 16 strikeouts. Yeah. In, in 36 batters. That's that would pretty... be enough uh, when we get to Nick Pavetta. I think we'll probably have a, a similar take on him. But yeah. you look at the arm and the ability to miss bats, and uh, you'll live with some of the other stuff that's a little bit shaky because of it. You know, So, uh, yeah, I, I don't agree necessarily keeping nine guys out of the bullpen, but what you consider that they have, when you consider what they have uh, in the starting rotation, uh, I do I do kind of understand it a little bit. I guess I understand it, but here's my, here's my big concern um with it it's that you know you say all right well we want nine guys because we know maybe we don't trust beyond nola we don't really trust the starting rotation to go far and i mean fair enough velasquez could never get past five innings like we know this um pavetta had a, a handful of great starts and a bunch of really terrible starts and you know maybe he only goes five six max so you need these guys you need bullpen arms but you look at what's going to start the season out there and you got guys like drew hutchison who could be a fifth starter? He's stretched out. Jake Thompson is former starter who's probably stretched out. I, I bet even Adam Morgan is stretched out, um, uh, even though he's going to be more of a one to two inning relief pitcher. I mean, you got guys who can pitch multiple innings over the course of the first couple weeks before you, before you need a number five starter. So why carry that ninth reliever? When you can carry an extra bench bat and maybe get an opportunity to see what Roman Quinn can do for two weeks or Yasmil Valentin can do for two weeks. like I, That's the one thing I was a little disappointed with with the Phillies. I really wanted to see them just for the first two weeks of the season because you didn't need that number five starter not have to go 13 pitchers. Like It's, it's almost like this, it's, it's counterintuitive to what their thought process is. Well, uh, what do you think? I mean, if they don't sign, if they don't do this Kingery deal, is Roman Quinn on this team right now? Probably. Yeah, probably. So. If not him, then Valentin. One of the two, 
My One thing of the two. is like, what what do you think Roman Quinn is? Because if you think that Roman Quinn is an everyday player, if you think he's I, a guy that can be your everyday center fielder if he stays healthy, then don't you want him to go down to AAA and get those at bats rather than? I mean, we're talking about trying to to divvy up at bats as it is right now, right? And if Kingery's going to get some starts in the outfield, where does where do we see Roman Quinn at the major league level? And I think that that becomes the question. And and ultimately, do does he have the talent? Does he deserve to be on this opening day roster? Maybe, probably, but for me, the thing is, if you want this guy to really develop, and he's missed a ton of time the last couple years due to various injuries, isn't he better served getting three, four, five at bats a night in Lehigh Valley? And and that's the thing. Yeah. Yes, but here's the but here's the thing. But here's what I'm going to stop. I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you here, though, Bob. The Lehigh Valley doesn't start Thursday. Yeah. They they have they have another ten days before their season starts. Right, so rather than him just sitting down in minor league, you know, extended minor league training camp, what's the harm in him coming up? And I don't care if he gets four bats in two weeks. It doesn't. It, it's he's the fifth outfielder. The fact of the matter is, is that he can he gives you a dynamic. I mean, he led the the team in stolen bases in spring training. Yeah, what he, nine out of ten attempts, right? Nine yeah. out of ten. I mean, yeah. that's a that's a, that's a something that you can pull off the bench Absolutely. in a close game late, and you say, "Oh, geez, we don't have that pinch runner because we only have three guys who can hit on the bench, uh, so we really can't go that route." But now you have that option. It's it's just a again just another thing. I'd rather have that to go to and have that in my back pocket than, than sit there Victor and say, Arano. "Oh, yeah. well, let's have Victor Arano just yeah. in case." Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm saying? No, that I mean, I, I do understand that. I, I just wonder, I just, I, I think that ultimately the way that they're looking at it, whether that be right or wrong, is development and, and keeping them fresh and keeping them, you know, in a steady grind of uh, of at-bats and, and facing live pitching every day. And, and I think that that's probably ultimately why they made that decision because they said, like you said it, four at-bats in two weeks, that's probably exactly what he would get. You know, there would probably be a couple pinch hits and maybe one start sprinkled in there. But other than that, he's not going to get, uh, you know, much consistent work. He's a guy that I really like, too. I, I've liked Roman Quinn for, for a, a few years now. And he's he's one of the guys when you're, you're looking at the Phillies slog their way to 66 wins, you're checking the minor league box scores and saying, all right, well, what did Roman Quinn do tonight? And, and when he was in there, it was always two hits, three hits, two steals, you know. And he's a guy that I was really up on. And I'd like to see him up here. I, I would. I would like to get a look at him. I just, you know, I'm, I'm starting to look at the dynamic of what the the Phillies currently have in their outfield and I just wonder if he if he doesn't fit in almost like how they had to trade away Michael Bourne uh, you know back when right before they got good absolutely and I and I think that that's probably where he ultimately falls in this thing I mean I guess maybe if if Williams or or Altair does not produce then maybe you give him one more shot in that right. kind of fourth outfielder role but um yeah no you're you, the, I, I get the long term for the year idea of making him play in triple a i just thought that the beginning of the season was kind of kind of yeah. crazy um as for the starters you know we, we all know what nola is but you know, pavetta again spring training is spring training you can't get too too excited but he showed a lot of, a lot different in spring training than he di- than he did at the end of you know the end of last year when he was getting shelled in every start, you know, kid came out and pitched pretty darn well uh, in spring training so far for the Phillies and in six starts and um, he had a 1.2 WHIP. Uh, you know, it, he had uh, 17 strikeouts in 18 innings, so it was you know almost a strikeout in innings. So he was doing some nice stuff for for the Phillies in, in spring training. I, I I I'm a guy who believes that Pavetta will be a decent pitcher. I know we had this discussion before and you're not as on board as I am, but 
I I think he could be a 3-4 without much of a concern, ultimately. So, I like guys that miss bats, and and that's the thing that Nick Pavetta does, right? He's a he's a guy that he can he has good stuff. You know, I, I know that's the thing. He has good stuff. It's cliche to say. You know, we look at Vincent Velasquez, right, and, and yeah. how he has good stuff. I actually don't think that his stuff is that good. Uh, I, I know that he had he has these starts where you go, wow, he's electric. I think he throws the baseball hard, is what I think he does. Whereas when I look at Pavetta, I, I think that his his entire arsenal, his, you know, he's three four pitches deep, where you he, he throws the ball and you go damn you know this guy's sharp this is plus stuff and and so I look at him and I say when you when you look at what the Phillies are which is not a World Series team and and I don't think even the most wild optimists can say that this is a World Series team but this is a team that is what trending upward right and this is a team that needs to see what it has across the board I think that Nick Pavetta out of the Mark Leiter's you know, the Jared Eikhoffs even, uh, Jake Thompson before he was moved to the bullpen, Zach Eflin, these guys, like, I just say they're all just guys. They're all number five starters or organizational depth. Pavetta to me, though there are, are some red flags and some things not to like about him, he best represents upside in terms of all of these younger arms that they have. And for that reason, though there are certain things about him that I, I don't like, I do think that he has the, the most ability of all of those options to really make himself into a, a mid-rotation starter, not just be a back-end guy that can spot start or round out a rotation on a mediocre team. He does have the most potential to flash out of all of them. A uh, big fastball, uh, big strikeout numbers. The, the issue becomes the walks, way too many walks, way mm. too many base runners. He had a, an extremely difficult time last year navigating uh, his way out of big innings. You know, he was a guy where he would throw a clean inning and he'd say, God damn, this, guy, this guy's got a chance. And then he'd come back the next inning, he'd lose control, and, and, and he just couldn't work his way out of those, those crooked numbers, crooked innings. And, and that's the concern. But, you know, for me, yeah, sure, Nick Pavetta absolutely should have a start, or, you know, should have an opportunity at the start of this season to prove that, that he doesn't belong. Yeah, I, 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 I worry a little bit about a little bit more about Velazquez, I think, than I do Pavetta. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do. I just, I'm just not completely sold on him. I mean, you know, I know he threw these. Oh, he threw another four strong innings, and he only had one walk. And for just for some reason, I think he's a little bit of a blockhead. I, that he feels like he needs to strike you out with his fastball. And after he's shown you two, three fastballs, and now you're on it a little bit, and he still thinks I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, you know, the macho pitcher and blow it past you. And yeah, you know, like you remember, like Major League, like Ricky Vaughn, yeah, right? Like, yeah. yeah. If you get a piece of it, you can name it. Yeah, he's yeah. got like a little bit of that going on. Like, kind of like, yeah, you know, I could get you out, I could get you out in front of a changeup and roll you over to second base, but you know what? I'm gonna spend another three pitches to to try to embarrass you instead. And right, the uh, pitch inefficiency is a huge problem with him. Um, you know, he gets fat with his fastball at times as well. Uh, I agree. I, I do have the same concerns, and I know that the the cure all for that is move him to the bullpen. He'll be a hell of a eighth, ninth inning guy, maybe. Uh, but that's that's no gimme either. That that's not necessarily a foregone conclusion. You know, if, I, if they I, get to that point, I wonder what his um, leash would be like if everyone was healthy. If Ikoff was healthy. If Leiter was healthy. Like, would Velasquez as a starter? 
How many would would he be? You know, locked in for two, three months, guaranteed up till the All Star break, kind of thing, or would he? Would it be even shorter if everybody was healthy? Well, I mean, listen, I think his leash is what you know the amount of time that passes until these guys come back i mean if jared eikoff is six or seven weeks away or mark Leiter's back in a few weeks and and pavetta's figuring it out and he's he's been promising to start the season and, and arietta is is what we think he can be and nola i think nola's an all-star this year i do uh, i think he's that good i think he turned the corner last season um, if these guys all do what we think they can do, I think Velasquez, if he continues to be this guy that gives you one decent start followed by a three and a third or four and two thirds, six earned, and you go, well, he had eight strikeouts, though, and yeah, he also gave up ten hits, two walks, and, and six runs, then I think he, I think that he's the first guy that, that gets bumped. Uh, that, that's my opinion, and, and that yeah. comes well, from somebody that doesn't, doesn't love Ben Lively. Uh, I think Ben Lively is one of those guys I talked about earlier. He's just kind of a guy um but yeah, yeah i think that that's where they're at with velasquez and i think that if he does struggle you have to move him to the bullpen just to see again this is kind of a, an exploratory year in a way what do we have here and if if you know at this point three years later that he's not a starter then then you got to figure out what you have as a bullpen piece well you say it's an exploratory year and it, and it is in a lot of ways but here's here's the burning question now you bring in a Santana, you bring in Arietta, you throw this money at Scott Kingery. The Phillies are making a statement that this is maybe not just an experimental or an exploratory year, that there might be a little bit more to it. So, Bob Wankel, are the Phillies a wild card contender in 2018? Are they a wild card contender? Yes. Uh, are they a wild card team? Uh, not as currently constructed. Uh, that would be the, the short answer of this. Uh, let me get yours, and then, then we can talk about it a little I, bit more. Yeah, I think, I think that that's probably accurate. Like, I, like, the way I look at it is I see the Phillies are, I think that they're right in the middle. You know, you, you have, what, uh, 14 teams in the National League? Uh, 15, 15 teams in the National League, sorry. Um, and the Phillies are probably, you know, in that 7-8 nine range right all right well let's let's look at it this way who, who do you know is better than them the, the well, nationals nationals the Cubs, for sure the dodgers yep you know those three teams slam dunks i think that they are they are sure bets to win the division uh, as sure as a, a bet can be at this point yeah um and then beyond them i, I call it a top heavy national league right yeah uh, but the giants the cardinals arizona Bre- uh, the brewers. brewers rockies i mean you could right, make yeah. you could make a claim that all all five of those teams uh, and maybe even to a lesser extent, the Mets. I mean, right. I, don't, I don't know where you're at on the Mets, but you could make an argument. Yeah, they got if great you look pitching. at the Vegas odds, if you look at the Vegas odds, they're ahead of the Phillies as well. Yeah, they got, so, they got great pitching. And I know that we're all really up on the Phillies right now. And I, and I almost feel like that the, the tone for me so far, and if, if you ever read me on the site, I, I've been extraordinarily positive about this team this spring. I really like yeah. Kapler. I, I think it's going to work, or it's going to completely flame out and be a complete disaster. But I, I do think it's going to work. I, I like what they're doing. I like the vibe. I love the Arietta signing. I love what they did with Scott Kingery. I, I think they're sending a message that we believe we can win, and we expect to win. And we're all amped up about this all of a sudden, even though a few weeks ago I felt like things were kind of a little bit quiet surrounding this team. But when you step back and you look at what other teams have, I mean, it's not just the Phillies in a vacuum. When you look around this league, it's a little bit deeper than maybe what I initially had had thought it was. I had called it top-heavy three teams, and then it's wide open. 
I don't know if that's necessarily true. And so when you look at the competition, I, I do think it, it kind of prohibits their uh, their ability to, to really maybe make a legitimate run here. Well, so so the way I the way I like to break it down even even into more specific in this re, in this regard is just look at the National League East. Okay, so Washington we know they're far and away ahead. The Marlins are are a, a dumpster fire. Wretched. They're, they're going to be the worst team in baseball. Yeah. Okay, so th- so you're playing them, you know what, eighteen times, nineteen times in a year. Okay, so that's that's a lot of games against a really bad team. Atlanta, who's like the Phillies in the sense that they're up and coming, they're just probably not as far they're along as, far as, long. as the Phillies are. Okay, so th- there's another eighteen, nineteen. Again, you're not going eighteen, nineteen, and zero against these teams, but you can build up a good enough cushion. Sure. Yeah. Against these kinds of teams, and the Mets, who you could make a you can make an argument that they're better than the Phillies, but you can also make an argument that they're not because. Yeah, and I will be honest with you. I mean, I said to a lesser extent the Mets, but yeah. if you ask me who finishes ahead, I would say the Phillies at this point. I, so, I really would. I, so if the Phillies are the second best team in the National League East, okay, they're probably going to have a really good record in their division. Now that means that they would really have to be terrible. Against the rest of the National League and then whatever interleague, 18 interleague games they have to, to really not be in the conversation. That's why I think that this is a team that can, in fact, in a lot of ways like the Sixers have this year in the NBA, go from a 66-win team to being an 83- or 84-win team. And if you're 83-84, you're right there for that second wild card. You might not get it. You might miss by a game or two. And it'll be in that regard, they would be a lot like the Phillies were back between 01 and 06, just before they got good and, and made the playoffs, where for five straight years they were in the playoff race, and that was before the second wild card, but they were in that playoff race down to the last week or two of the season. I think that this team could be like that which would really build for excitement going into the offseason with all the big-name free agents. So, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you're going to talk about them as a, a beneficiary of a weak division, then also if we're going to talk about the Giants, the D-backs, the Rockies, let's talk about that division, right? You know, it's not just that the Phillies play in a, what could possibly be a pretty weak NL East. You look at what the NL West is, yeah. and, I mean, those teams can beat the hell out of each other. So that does also provide an opportunity for the Phillies to make a move in, in that regard as well. You know, 66 wins last year, right? But, and we talked about this before the show as well, uh, they were, what, a game under 500 in the second half post-All-Star break last year. Uh, they actually had as many runs scored as, as runs allowed, so that's a legit number. That's not, you know, you go into the Pythagorean theorem and all that stuff. I mean, it, that's not a smoke and mirrors number. They played basically 500 ball. They deserved to play 500 ball. They were almost 500 at home a year ago, 39-42. and 42. This team was not as bad as it seemed a year ago, and when you look at adding J. Jake Arrieta, when you look at what they've done with Santana, bring a veteran-proven hitter into this lineup, you, you surround it with young talent, you have a positive vibe building, you look at what the Sixers have going on right now, you talk about a positive vibe going in the right direction, adding veteran pieces to the puzzle to kind of you know speed things up a little bit. I can see it. I mean, I, I, I do get it. I, I, I could see the path. And especially if they, they come out and they get out to a decent start, 
You look at a market that I think is going to be a buyer's market because so many teams are, are at that point in the season going to say, hey, we're not in this. We're going we're gonna to sell our assets. We're going to you know, try again. We're not there. Let's reset for two, three, four years down the line. The Phillies have all the money in the world to spend. They have that financial flexibility. They have the roster flexibility. They have a team with a young core that they believe in. And if they get to mid-July, late July, and they have the chance to strike, I think that this ownership group, that this manager, that they will, they'll go for it. They'll say, hey, we, we think we have a chance. Let's make it weird. Let's go. And if that opportunity presents itself, I do see a scenario where, yeah, they could really make things interesting into September and, and potentially be playing come October. I, I do see it as a possibility, but when I step back and I – kind of take a deep breath and say, all right, what are we really looking here? Or what are we really looking at here? We're asking a lot of really young, unproven players to, to probably have seasons that they, or at least some of them probably aren't ready to have, you know? And, and by the way, Nick Pavetta is starting the second game of the season. And, <laughs> you know, and, and that's where you kind of just have to, you have to ground yourself a little bit, you know? Yeah. And that's fair. And that's fair. And you mentioned you, how much you like Kapler. Um, Do you? It, yeah, well, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm more of a wait and see kind of guy, right? I mean, I, I, I like the way he talks, but I've heard a lot of people talk like that before. As a matter of fact, I, I heard somebody, you know, went to went to Vegas and they said to try and sell you on a timeshare to talk like him, right? Um, so I mean, you know, you could yeah. be getting it could be fool's gold, but, um, but no, I, I, I want to believe in him. I want to believe in Kapler. I, I want to believe that he's going to do things the right way and 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 really, you know, be that have the the uh, be a player's manager in the way that Charlie was a player's manager, but also be a little bit more of a strategic manager. Um, and I, I think that he has the ability to, to do that. Um, but, you know, how, what is your thought on on a lot of the analytical stuff that that he that he you know wants to employ? You know, you look at the p- potential of batting a pitcher eighth or, you know, not using your bullpen in a traditional manner or shifting your left fielder and right fielder around based on spray charts of the opposing hitters. Like how much of that do you do you buy into and how much of it do you say is, OK, this is unnecessary? Uh, I think information's good. I'm a little bit old school. You know, I'm not a guy that's going to go deep, deep into the advanced metrics and analytics, but uh, I respect them. And I think that clearly he has placed an emphasis on them. Uh, we, we talked a little bit and Alex Nakahara. Okay. How about this? Uh, a senior quantitative analyst from the team's R&D department took uniform or took the field in uniform as batting practice was about to begin and did not leave until the bullpen emptied after the last out an 11, six loss to the Tigers. That was from uh, February, a story that ran on uh, what used to be CSN Philly. What is it now? NBC, and NBC sports, sports Philly. Philly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I believe that was from Jim Salisbury and uh, you know, so they had a guy from their R and D department, Pengrad, uh, kind of, you know, a guy that that's looking at the advanced analytics, sit down during a game with the coaching staff and talk uh, through different situations of how they would use analytics uh, to make strategic in-game decisions. And so I think that that tells you all you need to know. I mean, I don't know that the Phillies are going to do stuff that you've never seen before. I don't know that it's necessarily going to, to be an experience where you turn on the game and say, uh, wow, uh, 
that's new. But I do think that this is something that they're going to lean heavily upon. Uh, and I, I do think that they'll shift outfielders around. Uh, I think that they will move guys positionally. I think they're going to cut down, like we talked about, guys at bats uh, in a given season to get the most out of them. Um, I think they will hit the pitcher eighth. I kind of expect them to do that. Um, th- uh, yeah, I think that he's going to lean on analytics quite a bit. Yeah, and, and I'm not necessarily certain that I – agree with all of them. I agree with some of them. I like the I love the whole switch the left fielder right fielder thing because a guy hits 75% of the balls to the one to the one field so you want to put your better outfielder over there. Why not, right? I mean, right. you want your better defensive guy where the guy's going to hit the ball. You know, if if you have a weak left fielder and no one's going to sit here and say Reese Hoskins is is, you know, lined up to become a gold glover in left field. That's uh, sure. right. I mean, if you have Aaron Altair <laughs> and Reese Hoskins in the game at the same time, I mean, where do you want that ball going, right? So, right, you would rather, uh, rather go to Altair. So like to me that's ingenious and it it's it amazes me that it's taken this long in baseball to, to make that a thing. Um so I'm good with that, and and I'm good with. The, in all honesty, I'm really good with the bullpen. You use your guy when you think it's best. I'm not one of those people who believe you have to have a traditional role. I'll go. I go back a little bit further than you, Bob, and I go back to the to the you know uh, late '70s and the '80s where relief pitchers would always pitch three innings, uh, and and I mean you know closers would pitch three innings, and you know they would come in. Sometimes you would bring in a closer in the sixth, then the fifth, you know, and he'd pitch two to three innings, and somebody else would close out the game. That's just the way it was because they felt that was the best matchup. Now they didn't have the advanced metrics that you have today. But there's, I think that they were onto something then. It, it seemed to work back then, so why wouldn't it work now? So I'm kind of good with that. I never quite understood, though, two things. I never quite understood batting the pitcher eighth. I don't get it. T- to me, I don't care how you sit there and say, well, it's now like having another leadoff hitter out of the nine hole. You're still putting the pitcher in a spot that's going to bat more frequently than ninth. Right. I, I don't care how you slice it. That pitcher spot's going to bat more frequently than ninth. And as a result, with only 12 guys on 12 batters on your team, it's more likely that you're going to have to pinch hit sooner because of that. I mean, you know, that, that pitcher spot comes up for a third time, sometimes in the fifth, sometimes in the sixth. You're going to have to bat for him in the fifth more often than not now if he's batting eighth than if he's – you know what I'm saying? It's just it's just the way it is, and so I don't – that one never really made a lot of sense so, to me. So let me just kind of chime in here on that. So I, I, I agree with you. Uh, it's not something that I would do. Uh, it's, it's interesting. When they signed uh, Kapler and, and they introduced him, I looked at him and I said, okay, the, the whole coconut oil thing and we're making jokes, <laughs> and I'm having a field day with it because if you ever right. read the site and you kind of get my tone, I <laughs> – I, I will. I, I go analytical, and we kind of go in depth on some stuff, breaking down position players. You know what guys do well and what they struggle with, and and there is you know some legitimate baseball talk in there. But I'm you know I I kind of like to take the fun angle to things sometimes too. And when when they rolled this guy out here, I just laughed. I said, "This is a gift from God." You know, I I, <laughs> I, I joined Crossing Broad. The Eagles win the Super Bowl. They hire this guy who's a complete. Uh, he's an insane person, and I just said, "This is this is too." perfect and then I see the pictures with his abs and he's he's posting up against the fence and I said this is just this is lovely this is absolutely wonderful uh, you know and I think the thing is my concern with Kapler is let's just do things for the sake of being weird or for the sake of being different you know and and maybe not always understanding why are we actually doing these things and that was my fear with the Phillies I said are they going to just become this team that's progressive for the sake of being progressive and hey we do it differently and and we were there first and look at how smart we are and and 
sometimes I think that organizations get caught up with, all right, well, if everyone's going to zig, we have to zag, right? And like, that was my one concern when I watched this thing unfold. Now, as I've gone through spring training, the more I hear him talk, I don't think that he's just, he's, he's not a salesman. I, I thought maybe he was just a salesman. This all sounds great in theory, but can he really apply it? And I look at how the players respond. I, I look at the vibe coming out of that clubhouse. And I just, I, I think that there might be some legitimacy to this whole thing. Now, as far as, you know, what you're talking about, hitting the, the pitcher eighth, I, I've never really understood it. People have explained it to me. They've, they've showed me numbers and, and I say, okay, yeah, that sounds good. But for the same reason that a guy like Kapler might be open to hitting uh, Carlos Santana in the leadoff because you want your best hitter or whoever you deem to be your best hitter, whether that be Reese Hoskins, Santana, whoever, to hit first and get as many at-bats as possible. Look at what Schwarber does with the Cubs, right, before it all went south. Why would you why would you put your pitcher in the eighth spot on a short bench like you talked about and, and give him more bats than than a guy like JP Crawford, who I would assume would probably slot in as the nine hole hitter? Uh, you know, yeah. I don't long term I don't really understand that. But I, I I kinda buy into this a little bit. I'm I'm willing to, to kind of see how it goes. Um, you know, and that's sort of where I'm at on it. Yeah, I always thought Tony LaRusso was the most pretentious manager in the history of baseball. And he used to do. He used to be the only guy who did it, right? right? If you remember back, I don't yeah. know, 10, 15 years ago, right? He was the only manager who did it, and it was always like I always felt like Tony Larusa thinks he's smarter than everyone in the room. Now we have multiple teams that are batting pitchers eighth, and I make and it's sitting there saying, "Were we all fools?" Like, but I still don't get it. I still it it just I don't think that the the benefit is there enough of a benefit is there to risk having to take your starting pitch around an inning sooner because that spot in the batting order comes up one spot sooner. It just does. And it, it happens more more frequently than you than you realize. Right. You know, it, it, People don't see, oh, it's only one spot in a lineup. I'm telling you, the number eight hitter comes up more frequently in the middle of a game than you think. And you sit there and say, all right, now it's the fifth inning. Am I taking my pitcher out here in this clutch spot? You know, and now I got to pitch five innings worth of bullpen ball. If you're on, if you're the road team, it's kind of crazy. It's it's just a thing that I just don't under I just don't understand. Maybe it works a little bit better if you're the home team because then it guarantees your starter went five innings at least. But if you're the road team and you're batting your pitcher eighth, now all of a sudden you only got you, you know you're making a decision. Do I have to use a pinch hitter here in the fifth inning to get a hit that we need, and then my starter's out after four innings? I don't know. It's it just doesn't make it doesn't make a lot of sense. To I'm me. willing to kind of see how it plays itself out. One thing that I'll say about it is that I've seen it in small doses, right? You turn on ESPN or whatever is on MLB Network, and you might watch in the playoffs. You might see it for a series or something like that. But then you kind of go, all right, uh, I saw that. That was weird. That was a strange thing that they did. And then you kind of go back to watching what you're used to seeing. Well, now if if this is what he elects to do, and we don't know for sure that he's going to do this, but let's say he does, well, now that we'll get to see it day in, day out, it'll be one of those things that it'll be a talking point. Let's evaluate this. Does this really make sense? Because you see it, and then you go away from it, and you go, yeah, that's kind of strange. But when you see it day in, day out, I mean, maybe maybe we come away from it saying, oh, wow, how about that? Or you say, nah, that's stupid. I was right all along, you know? Yeah. Well, we, we, we talked a little bit about analytics here with the Phillies, and I wanted to wrap up the our initial podcast here kind of looking at a, a, a thing that's kind of general throughout baseball. And there was a great story that ran uh, earlier, I guess it was late last week, um, 
uh, it's actually going to be an ESPN magazine's April 2nd issue. Um, but it, uh, they, they put it online uh, in advance. Sam Talk- Miller. Yeah. yeah, Sam Miller wrote it. And talking about um, the shift in baseball philosophy that has changed the game forever, and that necessarily, that basically being that tanking has kind of taken over the sport to the point where half the league no longer wants to be competitive in a given season, going into the season. Um, because they feel they can rebuild better that way. And there are some really interesting things that, you know, that Miller points out in here, but he also has uh, the the most interesting quote that I thought was Scott Boris um, saying that this is destructive to the sport and that we have to get rid of this non-competitive cancer, uh, talking about teams purposely being non-competitive. Um, it, do you think it's it's hurting the game of baseball, or is it the fact that this this is just the copycat thing? And you know, everyone saw the Cubs and Astros kind of do the same thing and win World Series, and now they all everyone wants to try and do the same thing, and it, it's it's just a fad, and it'll eventually go away. Uh, I think it's destructive to the sport in the sense that the, the product is bad. Um, you have twelve, thirteen teams, you know, anywhere between a third. Uh, at the start of the season to, you know, really probably half the half the game uh, by midsummer that just says we're not going to win this year, so let's stop trying to win. Or not that we're not trying to win, but let's not put our best foot forward. Let's not field the best team possible. There's that free agent that we could have acquired, but we didn't. And so what you're getting is, I think, a, really a watered-down product at that point, and uh, it makes for a lot of meaningless games. Um, it, it makes for very long summers for teams that have kind of waved the white flag well in advance, uh, you know. So I think from that aspect, it's, it's not good for the game. But I, I do think... It, if you look away from declining television ratings in local markets, the, the one anecdote in that story is how the Astros, right, at, at the height of their, if you want to call it tanking or rebuild or however you want to term it, they, they drew a 0.0 local TV rating. Literally nobody watched the game. And that's a problem, right? But the, the one thing about it is is that I think that a lot of teams are, you know, they see that it works. The Royals went through it. The Astros went through it. The Cubs went through it. The Phillies are going through it now, and they have a ton of buzz around them. And I think that fans understand it, and more and more fans are becoming willing to, to watch their team kind of fade to the back for two, three seasons, if that means a long-term payoff. But while it may be accepted more uh, in local markets on a team-to-team basis, I don't know that it's necessarily good for the game. Uh, that would be my that would be my take on that. Yeah. So my so here's the th- and it's it's interesting that you brought this up to say that the fans are more willing to you know take that backseat for a few years if it means you know more long term success. And my question to, the, to you is this, and, and it, I don't think we're going to work honestly going to have an answer for this for at least another. I don't know, five, six years ultimately until we see some teams, how long they can sustain their competitiveness, right? So the thought, so my thought is if you do this and if you, you know, you, you tank or rebuild and you're not competitive for three, four years and then you're going to try and be really good, how long is your good window? Like, like how long, like the Astros, okay, they won the World Series. How long are they going to be good? Are they going to be good for a decade and be a team that could win three, four, five championships or you know, in that decade? Or are they a team that, all right, we got our championship, we'll be competitive for a few more years, we might win one more, we might not, but then we're going to be bad again. Like, how short is the, how short is the window? And then the question then becomes, 
is it worth going through blowing three or four years if your window is only say five seasons and then you got to do it all over again like is is that okay i i don't because i don't think it is if it becomes the most efficient way to win a championship, I mean, if, as the data grows and as time goes on, if we see that the teams that do this are the most likely to win, now let's say we get 15, 20, 25 years into this thing, and we see that this is the path that you must take, then, then yeah. But now here here becomes the, the thing, is that you had three, four, five teams doing this every year, right? And now that's gone from five teams to ten teams, and it's trending upward where more and more teams are buying into this philosophy of we could be an 82-win team, uh, but you know what? That's not going to get us what we ultimately want, so screw it. Let's just be a 71-win team instead, right? So with more and more teams doing that, what is the overall effectiveness of the method, and does that then in turn create an opportunity for teams that, that might be middle of the road that say, you know what, I see that, that now there is actually an opening. So like, does it shift back the other way eventually where teams say, all right, there's 15 teams that, that aren't going to attempt to win here? That provides us an opportunity. That opens the window for our mediocre team to capitalize on the fact that teams are looking three, four years out. You know, and, and so it's it's really a, a very interesting idea. If you told me that every year 15 teams were going to enter baseball and, and not try to win, I'd say it's terrible for the game. But I don't think that this is a trend that's just going to continue on as is and and then just continue to grow and there not be any pushback the other way. Right. I, I think it ultimately has to because what we're, what we're seeing is what you're pointing out is, is that because of the fact that so many, and it's not just baseball. I mean, we're talking about baseball, but, but you see this in 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 basketball. You see it in hockey. Maybe to a little bit of a lesser extent in the NFL, although the Browns are you know one in thirty one the last two years in football. Um, but you know, you, the more teams that are not trying to win and not trying to be competitive, the more mediocre teams are getting into the playoffs and and getting a chance to win. And you're sitting there saying, well, wow, look at that. That that team made a great run. Or that team, they came out of nowhere, and it's it's a great surprise. But is the quality of the sport as good as it could be? And I don't think it is. Because well, no, if you're, it's not. Because you're not you're not going out and, and getting the best players available. I mean, look at the free agent market this year, right? I mean, that's why you had Jake Arrieta not sign until uh, the middle of March. That's why you had Alex Cobb out there until a week ago. That's why you have guys like Mike Moustakis, good baseball players that would help teams win not sign deals because there's the market is just it's not there there's so many teams saying yeah we could add Mike Moustakis and maybe give ourselves an extra two three wins and that would push us to what 78 you know we're not there and so you you get a watered down product because of that and so that begs this question why are fans okay with this well, I think that uh, <laughs> you see what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Why are you okay with accepting mediocrity? Well, it's my biggest argument that I have with people all the time who who believe in in tanking. And, and look, I get it. I understand you. A rebuild requires some of that, but I do still believe that you should try and be as competitive as you can be, even if you're not a great team. Just try and be competitive. But you know, and you you pull I'm it okay out. with that as long as it's not at the expense of, of winning long term. I mean, I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not yeah. gonna try to make myself into an 81 win team to to you know to to what you know. Right, if, but <laughs> well, the the fact is, is that's what I'm saying. Like nowadays, because the the playoffs have been expanded, 81, 82, 83, 84. Those numbers, which for years were 
total, you know, they were not playoff win totals. Right, well, yeah. Ever. And, and you know who jumps out at you? So you said 83 wins, the 2011 Cardinals. Right? Cardinals yeah. won the World Series yeah. with 83 Absolutely. wins, yeah. beating the Phillies. Team. Yeah. Right, I, so but my, that's my point. It's like these, these, when I was growing up, if you were an 83 and 79 team, you were nothing. Like you were not, you were, didn't have a chance of making the playoffs. You were likely 10 to 15 games out of a playoff spot. You just kind of, they, they were meandering through the season. Okay, right. and that's what it was. Whether you were a, a young team up and coming or an old team that was now on the way on the decline, eighty-three wins was not a good number. But now eighty-three wins can get you into the playoffs this year in baseball these days. We are accepting mediocrity, and it's because we're okay with it. We've been, for some reason, somehow, fans have now become conditioned to accept mediocrity in sports. And baseball is seeing it a lot more than it than it ever has. And I tend to agree with Scott Boris, and far be it from me to agree <laughs> with Scott Boris. Yeah. Okay, ne- I don't like. I'm not a big yeah. fan of the guy as an agent. Yeah. But far be it from me to agree with Scott Boris. I think it's killing baseball. Baseball struggling enough as it is that we have to sit here and talk about Rob Manfred and pace of play and all this other nonsense because they're worried that fans are going away from the game. I don't think fans are going away from the game because the game's five minutes longer than it used to be. I think fans are going away from the game because it's becoming mediocre. That feel good? Did that feel yes. good to get that off your chest? Yes, yeah. I felt good. Thanks, Bob. That's good. No. And I'll, hey, listen, I'm gonna then let's put a nice little bell on this. So here's a reason to feel good as we sit three days out from the beginning of the season. All right, you ready? Go ahead. The fact that the Phillies went out and did this deal with Scott Kingery. It sets a tone. It's a it's a culture changer, right? The fact that they go out and they sign Jake Arietta. This tells me that this team, who obviously has taken this path that you are are being pretty critical of here over the last (laughs) couple of years, right? I mean, so here they are. They are taking this path. I think that they view themselves as a team that can compete this season. I think that they are now acting like a team that is either there or on the brink of being there. And I don't think that they view themselves as a 66 or a 72-win team anymore. And uh, the whole the whole vibe and look and feel of this team, it, it says otherwise now. And I think that because the Phillies have gone out and done this, I think that we have exited uh, this this strategy that you are critical of. And we are now about to <laughs> reap the reward of a league that is now trending more and more uh, in the direction of doing this. And I think the Phillies are about to now capitalize on that trend uh, as opposed to just simply join the crowd. Uh, and and I think think that that would be one reason going back to our earlier conversation I, I think that this is going to create a little bit of an opportunity for the Phillies to go in and, and possibly possibly as I've been saying make this weird this summer okay I, I will I just want to say one last thing sure. there. one fine one final rebuttal yeah the one difference with the Phillies from what I think other teams are doing is I think the Phillies found themselves with uh, coming from a generation where they had all these aging players with bad contracts yeah, and they yeah. just needed to get, they need so they needed to do, that was the only way they could rebuild is get rid of those contracts that was the only way well, like sure, they but couldn't, couldn't I just, couldn't I say like hey you don't want to observe uh, you don't want to absorb any bad contracts right like you don't want to get aging players you don't want to take sure, a oh, chance yes 100% I you mean, should, you, you're right you're you right have but, to but do I'm something saying that is, up with those tra- contracts in the first place you know right. so so you, you can sit there and say okay well the reason the Phillies went bad was because of the, they rewarded players for past uh, for past glory as opposed to you know what they were currently really worth 
So I mean, so yeah, the Phillies had to come out of it in a little bit different way. Yeah, I, think, I, I, I do know. I'm I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate at this point. I mean, I I agree with that. I do understand that. Yeah, but I mean, look like like I look at the Marlins, for example, and they're not the only one. There were three teams who were being sued for not spending their uh, revenue share properly. Um, I forget who the other two teams were, but I mean, you look at what the Mar the Marlins were a team that two years ago with these guys and they were still young and still young players were being looked at as a team that could be that next really good team. And then rather than continue to be that, they sell the team and then trade off everybody for a bunch of, I don't know, a bunch of nothing. And I think that that's really, that's a bad way to go. It's a bad way to, it's a bad example. Yeah, the A's, the Marlins, the Pirates, and the Rays. I didn't know that yeah. off the top of my head. I'm yeah. not that good, but uh, yeah, yeah. So it was four teams. So it was four yeah, teams. Four teams. Yeah. Okay. We're not. So that. So there you go. So I mean, that's that's a concern. That's a real, real concern that you, that these teams are making all of this money and then not sh not spending it the way they're supposed to spend yeah, it. No, absolutely. Yep. So, but with that said, hey Bob, you know what? That was a pretty darn good first podcast first version of crossed up here on crossing broad yeah, a little nerves a little rust you know trying to fill each other out a little bit no yeah. test shows either none of that you know just kind yeah. of jumped right into it hit record and go so that's right we did a good job we did a good job but i just i want to thank everybody for tuning in uh and make sure that they uh subscribe to us you know i don't think we're, we're not on itunes just yet but uh we will be very very shortly uh once we get everything up and running um but uh thanks for, you know thank everybody for listening don't forget check out our other podcasts on the on the crossing broad network uh, there's the crossing broadcast uh which is uh, every day um, i'm doing a hockey podcast with uh, russ joy called snow the goalie it's a flyers podcast there's crossing broad fc and it's always soccer in philadelphia and if you have any baseball questions you want to send our way uh you can send bob wankel at bw crossing broad or me anthony sanfilippo at ant san philly thanks again for tuning in we'll be back with you next week on this crossed up the phillies podcast